Welcome to True Vine Church Community's Sermon of the Week. Our hope is that this message would spark and sustain revival in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information about this podcast and other ways to connect with True Vine, visit us at blessphiladelphia.com. Thank you for engaging in worship, giving the Lord the praise that is due His name. Amen. want to welcome everybody back. Again, this week we've been back. (laughs) We've been together. And so I just want to, I don't ever take for granted that people come because you can choose to be anywhere today. So I'm glad you're here. I don't take for granted that you've tuned in online because you could be anywhere right now. (laughs) But you are with us here in this place. We are continuing in our study of the Church of Ephesus, and in this study we have come to the book of First and Second Timothy, the books of First and Second Timothy. They are actually letters written by Paul to Timothy, addressing, uh, they're called pastoral letters, addressing issues of the church, but also addressing um, Timothy himself who is a leader in this church. And last week, we talked about uh, the inevitability of those of, the, the inevitability of the departing of some. That some will leave the faith. Some will forsake it. Some will, uh, have, will make the choice to have nothing to do with it. And last week, we highlighted that there are two influences that leads someone to do that, and there's a choice to be made. We said that there is a supernatural influence uh, and that there is a natural influence. The supernatural is uh, obviously Satan and his demons, who Paul says are deceitful spirits and also says to us that uh, they, they propagate doctrines of demons. Um, so they have... Uh, a liturgy, they have a, a teaching, they have a doctrine, a uh, th- way to follow. And there's absolutely a connection between satanic forces and the apostasy that we often see already beginning in our day as some who have been prominent in the faith have now abandoned their faith or um, evolved, as some have called it, an evolved faith, but essentially, um, whenever someone denounces the faith in Jesus Christ, they have become apostate. You have departed. So there is a satanic force that is, that is behind this, and we challenge you to think on, we need to understand and value truth But any truth, according to the scripture, any truth that leads us to departing from the faith is not of the Lord. Is not of the Lord. Because the fullness of wisdom uh, dwells in Jesus Christ. The manifestation of truth is Jesus. The manifestation of revelation or enlightenment is Jesus. 
understanding is Jesus. And so, last week we talked about the two influences and the choice, uh, that there is a devotion then after being influenced. People make the choice to give heed to what they're learning or what's influencing them, and that leads to departing. Today, <clears throat> Paul says uh, also that in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26, I just want to highlight that verse. He says that in these days, uh, some, <clears throat> excuse me, He says to them in verse 24, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And according to verse 26, it says that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. There is anyone who departs. There is, uh, Paul characterizes them as ones who have made a choice, but also ones who have been captured by Satan to do his will. So Satan has a will that he wants to impose upon us, and that is a will diametrically opposed to the will of God. So we need to be aware of that. But... The way that Paul leads to uh, chapter three, he alludes to the fact that there is an opportunity for these people to repent. And that it is absolutely important that when we're faced with someone who has departed from the faith or someone who is antagonistic against the faith and you become the recipient of that antagonism, Paul says for us to speak kindly to them that we should be able to teach, that we should patiently endure evil, and that we should correct our opponents with gentleness, with gentleness. And the direct result of that, Paul says, could be, could, not, uh, not a given or not guaranteed, he says that God may grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth and that he would provide for them an escape, to, uh, an escape from the snare of the devil. And so, the possibility of God granting the departed antagonizes repentance is reason for us to be kind, is reason for us to, to be able to teach them, to know what we believe and be able to, to share that, to give a reason for the hope that you have within you to be able to endure evil because evil will come and give a gentle correction where a gentle correction is due. The question arises once again is that what if there is no repentance from the departed? What if there's no repentance from the departed? And so Paul then says in chapter three, verse one, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. So even if they're antagonistic towards you, if you follow what Paul says, being kind, being teachable, um, correcting your opponent with gentleness, 
God may use those opportunities, those moments, to grant them repentance, to turn back to the Lord, to change their minds about what they've declared about Jesus, which is, I no longer believe they could repent, and the Lord may grant them the, the, an escape from the snare of the devil. But if they don't, we need to understand that this is part of the last days. And then Paul begins to describe for us two lists of vices uh, that we need to understand are, are prominent in an apostate culture. And when we talk about culture, we're talking about our customs, traditions, beliefs, or ways of doing life as a community. And there, is, there are customs, there are beliefs, and there are ways of doing life as a community that is opposed to Jesus. And that is an apostate culture. So let's read, I'd like to read uh, verses one through nine and then break it up into different categories that I see. When I look at the vices, I see maybe four, uh, four categories that we could understand that would categorize this list of things. So here we go. But understand this, that in the last days there will, be, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, that would be the break. The first list and then the next list talks about specific people who are involved in this apostate culture. But not specific, yes, but not like ultra specific where he names them by name here in this book. He's done the naming of apostate people in other places. So verse six, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres oppose Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of these two women. So Lord, we bless the reading of your word, and we ask that you would bring illumination, understanding, Lord, of, of what needs to be understood from this passage. Holy Spirit, teach us, for you will guide us into truth, and you will do so this morning. We ask for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, as we look at this passage, we see that Paul says to Timothy, hey, if they don't repent, I'm I'm inserting this question because there's a question that has been asked, right? Uh, when he transitions to chapter three, verse one, he says to them, you know, God, if you're kind, if you're gentle, if you give a gentle answer, 
to your opponents. God may grant them to come to their senses and release them from the snare of the enemy. But what if they don't? What if they aren't released? Paul says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. He's asserting to us, to Timothy and those who will read this letter, that this is part of the last days. The last days are distinct from the day of the Lord. Should not confuse the two. The day of the Lord is the day when Jesus comes, executes his judgment, does what he's going to do when he comes after, you know, leaving the right hand of the Father and coming. The last days are the days in between when Jesus ascended into heaven and when he's going to come. And in between his ascension and his return, Paul says there will be trouble. And Jesus didn't leave without saying. He says, in this world, you will have trouble, but I leave you my peace. Paul doesn't really talk about the peace that Jesus leaves or that Jesus leaves here, but Jesus referred to it. And that is the the presence of the Holy Spirit will sustain you in the time where times get tough. You will have trouble, period. There are times where we enjoy extra grace in a land where where, uh, there is not a lot of antagonism towards Christianity, uh, but it's looking day in and day out, and some will look at us, oh, Christians are always looking for excuses to be victimized. No, it's the reality of what's happening. The reality of what's happening is that uh, the hostility towards Christians that was once on a hush-hush is now coming out and being very, and, and very blatant. And so, to that, Paul says, understand that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. The times of difficulty are, in fact, times, uh, the word there is unbearable. It will become hard. And right now, I would say, Life is pretty bearable, right? I mean, there's things that are happening, and for most of us, it's in the peripheral, in a different state, um, not necessarily affecting us directly. Um, And so I wouldn't say that we have hit the unbearable stage of the last days. We have not reached that. But there there will come a time that it it would be hard to, to bear. And so, Paul says there will be difficult times, and he links the times of difficulty to the reality that the, to, he connects for us the difficult times with the reality that some have departed from the faith. So the departed are directly connected, they're either the cause or the contributors of the difficult times. And that will come again and again. So we should be alarmed when there is when there is a rise of those who are prominent leaders in the faith now being apostate. Because apostasy is one step short of antagonism. And that can come at any time. Those who are for us will be against us. And those, I believe, that will be an unbearable time. But it's directly connected. So, in an apostate culture, 
What we see here, um, later on in the passage in verse 9, Paul calls them fools, or he says that their folly, the folly of the false teachers will be evident, will be plain for all to see. And so what I want to, what I understand is that this apostate culture is a culture really of foolishness. Like there's no mind behind it. There's no mind for the truth. There's no mind for anything of the faith. There's no mind for Jesus. And when, when we have an apostate, a cult, uh, when, when we have an apostate culture, what we have is the Christian community, society, and quality of life for all are at risk. Christian community, society as a whole, and a quality of life for all are at risk where an apostate culture persists. Why? Because foolishness rules where once wisdom ruled. And I see four different aspects in, this, in the two lists of vices, four different aspects of what this foolishness looks like. The first list of vices I would like to call misplaced loves. Paul says to them, they, Paul says to Timothy, for people will be lovers of self. That's in verse, verse 2. He says right after that that they will be lovers of money. He says later on that they will be lovers of pleasure. And he says that they will be lovers of the opposite of good of not good. To love yourself is to be preoccupied with self. To be a lover of money is to love material things. Specifically in this word, it's the love of silver, of currency. To love pleasure rather than God is to elevate your pleasures or what we often call hedonism. To be a hedon is to say, ah, I'm going to do what makes me feel good. That is a hedon. And so there is uh, that elevation of pleasure. So you see, we start moving from objective truth to more subjectivity. It's about me. It's about what I love. It's about what makes me feel good. It's about who cares if we're doing good or not. And I would look at that and it's like there's relativism. What's good for you is good for you, even though I would look at that and say that is morally wicked. So there is a a muddling, uh, a mudding of morality. But Jesus offers to us a different answer. Instead of loving or misplacing your love, Jesus says to us that the law and the prophets are summed up in love for God and love for your neighbor. Notice how that is in direct contrast to an apostate culture. First, there is no genuine love for people if there's no genuine love for God because God does the very thing in your heart and in your life that makes you a conduit of pure love for others. Does that mean that someone who is not a Christian cannot express a kind of love? No. 
There's all kinds of familial love, but that, that love that flows from understanding who God is and who you are in his presence and what his heart is for you, the, uh, that overflows from you to other people. God begins to reinstate your true identity, and in your true identity, you can love people out of that. Versus loving people to get something out of them. An apostate culture puts you at the forefront, even though you're doing a noble, virtuous thing as loving. It still puts you at the forefront, which makes it void or impure. We see here in this apostate culture is we see that misconduct seems to be normalized. He says of them that they would be abusive, they would be disobedient to parents, they would be unholy, they would be slanderous, they would be brutal, treacherous, and reckless. All of these are things, are ways of living that are harmful for other people. To be abusive is to have injurious report or <clears throat> attributing evil to what is actually good. To be disobedient to parents is to not be persuaded to obey. It's to say, uh, I hear what you're saying, but what, you hold, what you're saying to me, mom or dad, I'm not really persuaded by what you're saying. So there is a, a disconnect between relationships within the family unit. To be unholy is to be without reverence. To be slanderous is to, to do what Satan does. That is, accuse people. Accuse, accuse, accuse. To be brutal is to be a savage. To not be tamed. To be treacherous is to think nothing of betraying people having no issues with leading someone along and handing them over to an enemy. That is what treacherous looks like. To be reckless is to be impulsive, to not think things through. And you can see where a misplaced love would affect all of these ways of living, right? So an apostate culture has misplaced love, love, has normalized misconduct, and instead of misconduct, what the Lord gives to us, Paul, John writes in 1 John chapter 2, verse 4 through 6, he says, for us, whoever says, I know him, reminds me of Elf, I know him, Santa, right? Does not keep his commandments, uh, <laughs> but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way Jesus walked. So instead of normalizing misconduct, what Jesus brings to us is an example of how to live life. And that is in conjunction with the law of the Lord, with the commands of the Lord, and it always is for the good of others. All of the law and all of the prophets are summed up 
in those two, love God, love others. What we see arising here is not only a misplaced love, not only that misconduct is normalized, what we also see here is that attitudes and appetites go unchecked. Attitudes like pride or being boastful, that is promoting a false or giving a false portrayal of who you really are. Arrogant goes along with that proud. It's the thought of you being higher than others. Ungrateful, not acknowledging that God has been good to you and, and gracious to you. Being heartless, that's without the possibility of affection. Being swollen with conceit is having a clouded <clears throat> but lofty perception of yourself. Being unappeasable is unable to enter into relationships where you make promises to one another. Being without self-control is not having the power over yourself. Letting self, which the Bible describes without Jesus being uh, fleshly and selfish, letting that lead you versus you being empowered by the Holy Spirit to control yourself, your thoughts, your desires, and your choices. Again, Jesus gives us a different example, and Paul highlights that in the Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 5. Paul says to the Philippian church, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this attitude, the same attitude that Jesus had. And if you read on, it tells us the attitude that he has. And that is one of submission to the Father, obedience to the Father, leaving his heavenly throne, becoming flesh, right? Taking the image of a servant, not just the image, but being a servant himself, and becoming obedient even to the point of death. That is the attitude that Paul says we ought to take from our Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, considering others better than yourself. But that is difficult to do when your attitudes and your appetites go unchecked. Again, you're being a lover of self. The other thing Paul says of them is not only that they are misplacing their love, not only that this apostate culture normalizes misconduct, not only that they have appetites and attitudes that go unchecked, but he says of them they have superficial religion. Their really religiosity is superficial. He says of them that they have the appearance, having the appearance of godliness in verse 5, but denying its power. So that they display forth that they have a knowledge of God. There is this one, one uh, podcast that I listened to last week uh, of a guy who has deconstructed his faith um, and he came to the conclusion that he is a hopeful agnostic. 
that he still believes in a God, so life on earth makes sense with the idea that there is a deity, but that the God of the Bible is no longer it for him. And so to me, that displays something of godliness in that you pay just tribute to a deity, but you deny the power that comes from a life surrendered, a life in love with Jesus Christ. So these false teachers, they have the semblance of religion, but the power of relationship with God is not flowing through them. Well, the only reason you can have power flowing through you is if you have Holy Spirit. And the only way that you can have Holy Spirit is by putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the only way. If you feel any sense of power outside of professing the name of Jesus, that is demonic. That is not of the Lord. So they have an appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. Not only that, they use their religion to take advantage of the vulnerable. The women that, he, that Paul is speaking about, he's, he, he, in a sense, calls them foolish women or easily persuaded women. That they're always studying and always wanting to learn, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. They're impressionable, They are not robust in their theology, but they go by any wind of doctrine and anyone who gives them attention, they give all that they have to him, the false teacher. And you need to recognize that that is prominent today. YouTube is filled with many false teachers who want nothing but a following. And the ones who fall prey often are women who have not understood correctly the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just women, gullible men who do not do their own reading and their own studying of the word of God. So our respect for the word of God is is not to, we don't idolize and we don't worship the word we gain understanding and we gain the right way to believe and the faith that, that, that will sustain us through all of life. So the Bible increases our faith and our confidence in our God. We don't lift it up and we don't idolize it, but we, we let it do its thing in us, fortify us, strengthening us, encouraging us, helping us with discernment to know what is worthy of our attention and what is not worthy of our attention. So they take advantage of the vulnerable. The other thing that is indicative of superficial religion is that it is opposed to the truth. If you think of the example that Paul gives Concerning these two, Janus and Jambres, these apparently are the names given to those uh, magicians that Moses faced when he went to Pharaoh saying, let the people of God go. And then God told Moses, do these signs in front of Pharaoh, 
right? And they were the ones who then tried to duplicate what, uh, what Moses did by their powers and the powers of darkness, but all the while opposing the truth. It was until their, uh, their serpent was devoured <laughs> by, by Paul's, or Paul, I'm like bringing Paul to the Old Testament, by Moses' by Moses's staff. I forget which one of the signs was it that they said, yeah, we can't do that, sorry, Pharaoh. We can't duplicate that. I wanna say it's one of the gnats or flies, but I can't remember off the top of my head. But what they were doing, Paul says, is they're opposing truth. They're opposing the revelation, the signs and the wonders that are supposed to lead them to a knowledge of Yahweh, to a respect of Yahweh, right? To acknowledge Yahweh's request. And so in their own power and in their own dark magic, they found reason to oppose the truth. And Paul says of those guys, the false teachers, that they are like these magicians of Pharaoh. They see the signs and wonders and they refuse to accept the one who is doing these signs and wonders and that's Yahweh. That's another example of saying there's an appearance of godliness and a denial of the power. They oppose the truth. And it says of them that they have corrupt minds. There's nothing good in their minds. It's just corrupted. Boom. He also says of them, of the superficial religiosity, that it disqualifies them regarding the faith, meaning that it doesn't pass the test. Their faith doesn't pass the test of those who believe and are of the faith. Because those who pass the test have a change of mind. Those who pass the test change their minds about who Jesus is. That is called repentance. Those who, who pass the test declare that God's Son came in the flesh. Those who pass the test say that Jesus is the one who died in our place for our sins. Those who pass the test say that Jesus is the one who rose again on the third day. And those who pass the test say that he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God and is due to come at the time that has been determined. So those who pass the test, they change their minds about who Jesus is. And those who pass the test put their faith in. They believe in Jesus alone. Jesus alone for the forgiveness of sin, for the spirit-empowered life, and the promise of eternal life. Those are the ones who pass the test. These, those who have superficial religion do not pass the test. And in not passing the test, of what they believe and what they, have, what they think about Jesus, they are also disqualified in their leadership. So though they are teachers, they, are, they, they deserve the title false teachers, which makes them in the church of Jesus, whom Jesus is the head, it disqualifies them for any leadership in that church. 
because there will not be a growth that seeks to have Jesus being the head. And any leader in any church, any leader in any church who has a misplaced love for leadership is not worthy of leadership in the church of Jesus Christ. So, instead of superficial religion, what do we have? James says that we should care for the vulnerable. He says in James chapter 1, 27, that religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Don't go visiting the vulnerable when you are stained by the world. Because what you're doing is showing love to get something from them. That's what an apostate person does. That's what a false teacher does. That is someone who is superficial in their religion. The other thing that, that I believe responds to that is what Paul then says in verse 10 of chapter 3. Verse 10 and on, he says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, and my patience, my love, and my steadfastness. And then he says in verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. If you don't want to succumb to superficial religion, then give yourself wholeheartedly to the faith that you believed. If you don't want to succumb, as Paul warns the Galatian church, you start with the Spirit, continue in the Spirit, and don't veer off to being this law-driven uh, person. Verse 5, Paul reminds us that we, remember, the two lists of vices, and in those two lists we see that an apostate culture, um, <clears throat> an apostate culture, uh, good thing I have notes, right, uh, has misplaced love, has normalized misconduct, has appetites and attitudes that go unchecked, and have superficial religion. And Paul says that we ought not to have anything to do with such people. Those who were with us, who have left us, and become antagonizers to us, we, have to do, have, we need to avoid such people, is what he says. Why? Because having acquaintances with that kind is meddling in folly and foolishness. Now, that seems to contradict what he said a little earlier, that it, God may grant you to have opportunities with these apostate people to grant them uh, a chance, right, to be released. But it's no contradiction when you're talking about uh, having fellowship with, 
or treating as, this would be the same thing as treating them as unbelievers, right? What do you do with an unbeliever? You develop relationship uh, so that they can see your love for the Lord and that that would open up opportunities for conversations to be had, right? So it requires for us a mindset that they are not believers and that they should be reached uh, for the Lord, right? Not be left alone to die and burn in hell because that's the reality. Paul says, avoid them in such a way that you are not letting them influence you, 1 Timothy, letting them influence you towards misplaced love, towards normalized misconduct, towards unchecked attitudes and appetites, and towards superficial religion. We need help. The church needs help. We need to come back, and I'm grateful for uh, scriptures like this that warn us of what the last days look like, warn us of the kind of culture that will come from those last days so that we are careful, so that we are careful with our words, so that we are careful with our choices, so that we are careful with our, um, with our actions, right? Because there's, there's work to be done. Jesus is to be glorified in your day-to-day. Jesus is to be glorified in your day-to-day and whatever interactions you have. Love God, love people, walk as Jesus did. Love God, love people, walk as Jesus did, have the same attitude as Jesus, take care of the vulnerable, and be careful to continue believing what you've given your life to, what you've given your life to. It's a good indication. So whether this matters to you or not, whether you've given your life to it or not, right? Let's avoid uh, superficial religion. We need your help, Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we bless you, and we thank you for being the deposit, the guarantee of our inheritance Thank you for being uh, the ministering presence of Jesus in our lives. So we absolutely need you. Our hearts break for those that have abandoned the faith, who were of us, and by whatever reason, whether they've been choked out or persuaded, have abandoned their faith in you. And we ask, O oh Lord, for the ability uh, to not look arrogantly or be proudful towards them, but to be able to have conversations. I pray, O oh God, that we would be so secure in our faith so that we are not defensive when we have conversations with those who do not believe. Oftentimes, we are defensive, Lord, because we do not really believe what we're saying we believe. We also want to see your power moving through us, Lord.
We know, O Lord, that persuasive speech is not all that we have. We don't have, we're not uh, reduced down to truth statements or arguments. We have the ability to demonstrate the Spirit's power. And so, Lord, like Paul, we want to be a church that demonstrates the Spirit's power. We don't just want to be people who have arguments or answers or teaching points. We want to be people who have the demonstration of the Spirit's power flowing through us in signs and wonders and miracles, in prophetic words, That is what an apostate culture needs. A revived church. Come and revive us. Revive us, Holy Spirit. The world does not need a church filled with activists. The world needs a revived church who is in love with Jesus and who hears from the Lord Every day, and in everyday circumstances, the world needs a living God. And so, Lord, will you do the work in us? Change us, Lord, and and some of this I'm bearing my heart, Lord. I need this. I need this every day, Lord. I need your power. I need your might. I need your your. your, pro- your prophecy, your miracles, your signs and wonders, Lord, for every day, for every encounter, we ask that you would release that, Lord, as we magnify you and as we reiterate and, and ground our faith and are fixed in our faith in you, Lord. The church needs that, for that is the kind of victorious church that will endure troubled times. We bless you, O God, and we thank you for how you're going to do this. I entrust this work to you. I don't have any visions or ideas of how this works, but we just ask that you would do it, and you are the God of the impossible. So overcome theological uh, obstacles. We invite you in that way. We invite you, O Lord, for you to overcome selfishness and Uh, heart issues, overcome those so that your church can be revived. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Please, please, please open yourself up to the Lord this week for his power to move through you. I know some of you are like, I have no idea what that looks like. And you don't need to. You don't have to have an agenda of what that looks. Just have expectation. And if you want to know what that looks like, read your Bible. Start in the book of Acts. And you'll see what the revived church looks like. And do that as the Holy Spirit prompts you in your day to day. I bless you. Thank you for joining us online. We bless you. And uh, you are dismissed.